Well, I want to invite you this morning to grab your Bible with me, if you will, or you can open that favorite Bible app. But join me in Psalm chapter 120. Psalm chapter 120. Now, I don't know what it's like for you, but over the last few weeks, uh, it, it feels kind of draining that I haven't been able to be around very many people and there's just the uncertainty about what tomorrow is going to bring. But at the same time, I have this increased anticipation for a time when we will be able to meet together again in person. This morning, we're kicking off a new sermon series that we're calling On the Way. And it's a study through the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, I, I know that maybe you've never heard of that title, the Psalms of Ascent, before, and that's okay. But that's a special title that is given for some specific psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. It's a set of 15 psalms that are located toward the end of the book of Psalms. And these psalms were a special, had a special place in the life and the history of the Israelites because these were songs that were sung as they traveled on a journey together. Now, the Israelites were instructed by God to go up to Jerusalem at different points during the year in order to have these celebrations together, times of worship to him. And so the people would pack up a few things. They would leave their homes, they would leave their villages, and they would make this journey up to Jerusalem for these festival celebrations. They, they would uh, travel and along the way they would sing these songs as individuals, as families, and they would sing these together as a larger group as they got close to the city of Jerusalem. These songs would kind of carry them along as they anticipated being together as a people, maybe seeing people that they hadn't seen in a while, looking forward to worshiping God there. In a lot of ways, uh, you might think of this as a road trip playlist, that these were songs that were sung on this journey up to Jerusalem. And so for, for us in this season that we're in right now, we're on a bit of a journey as well. We're looking forward to the time when we'll be able to meet together, and we hope that it's soon. But as we think uh, about and anticipate a time when we're going to be able to meet together in this life, I think that that also helps us to think about and to prepare ourselves and look forward to eternity. And so the fact is that this world, it's not our home. We, we can sometimes start thinking because of the comforts of this life, because of our family and friends, we can think that this world is our ultimate destination, that this is where we should be. But the, these Psalms of Ascent, they are reminders to us that as followers of Jesus, we are journeying to a heavenly home and we need to set our eyes on what is to come and not so much on the things of this life and the things of this world. And so I think that in a lot of ways, these ancient songs can help us to develop the right kind of spiritual homesickness. That they can teach us how to handle the journey that we're on from here to our eternal home. And so with that as kind of the backdrop of this section in the Psalms, I want to go ahead and read Psalm 120. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word. Here's what it says. This is a song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. 
What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. As we look at this psalm today, there are two problems, major problems, that, that I, I see here from the psalmist that, that uh, he talks about. And the first one just has to do with lying neighbors. In fact, in verse 2, he says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from, deceitful, from a deceitful tongue. But then secondly, he, he has this other problem that has to do with warring neighbors. Verses 6 and 7 say, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And so there are these problems here that this psalmist has, but verse 1 just kind of stands out from everything else that's written because it's written in the past. And he says, you know, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. That, that there was something that he did in the past, something that happened in the past where he sought the Lord and the Lord delivered him. But, but then you get to verse 2 and he starts talking about the present. He talks about a present situation, a present uh, reality that he is experiencing. He says, deliver me now, deliver me today, O Lord. Verse 5 says, woe to me now, today, that I sojourn today in Meshech that I dwelt today among the tents of Kedar. And so there is a difference there that verse 1 is in the past and verses 2 through 7 are in the present. And the question is why? I mean, why would the uh, writer of this psalm begin with this statement about what God has already done in the past and then he starts crying out for deliverance in his present situations? Well, as I read this, I think that this psalmist is living out a habit that we as Christians, as believers, need to learn to live out ourselves. That as we are confronted with this present need that we experience, that, that uh, we, we don't look at the present, but that we look at the past and the faithfulness of God in the past. The psalmist looks at past examples. He looks at past evidence of God's grace and faithfulness in his life. He's letting the past faithfulness of God give him confidence as he looks at his present situation, as he looks to the future. He's looking back at what God has already done, and he says, you know what, God, because you have worked in my life in this way in the past, I can trust you that you are going to work in a similar way as I look into the future, as I look at my present circumstances right now. He's looking back on what God has already accomplished, and it gives him hope, it gives him confidence for his current situation. Before he says, God, deliver me now, he remembers how God had delivered him back then. That's the same thing that we need today. We need to remind ourselves of the past faithfulness of God as we think about the challenging circumstances of life today. As I think about this, I'm reminded of teaching each of my kids how to ride a bike when they were younger. 
You know, uh, you're two, three years old, uh, maybe you start riding on a trike or something like that, a tricycle, and, and you're so excited to ride that tricycle up and down the driveway, maybe on the sidewalk beside your house, but you don't go, go too far. You're on this tricycle, and, and, and at times you're riding this tricycle on the sidewalk, and it feels like the best thing ever. But at some point, you want to ride a big bike. You want to ride a two-wheel bike. You want to ride a big kid bike. You want to be a big kid. Now, uh, most everyone who learns how to ride a two-wheel bike starts out with training wheels on. And these uh, training wheels help you to not fall over as you're pedaling. They, they help to keep you balanced. But there, there comes a day when you just want those training wheels off. You see everyone else and they're riding their bike and they don't have training wheels on and they seem to be going fast and you want to be like them. You want to be able to do that too. Well, I remember specifically how our youngest daughter, Eliana, she really wanted her training wheels off of her bike. And this was like a year and a half ago or something like that. And so I take the training wheels off, but in order for her to actually be able to ride that bike, she's going to need some help getting used to riding a bike with two wheels. And so we go out to the sidewalk together, and I'm holding the back of her bike in order to kind of steady her along the way. And so we go back and forth a few times, and she starts to get it a bit. And, and so I let go, and I'm running right behind her uh, so that if she starts to fall, I can catch her. And a few times she did fall, and I was able to catch her. Well, uh, it didn't take her too long, and she's able to ride this bike by herself. But for a while, I think it was at least a few days, that uh, she would not ride her bike unless I was right behind her. Because she knew that if I uh, was behind her and she started to fall, that I would catch her right away and I wasn't going to let uh, something bad happen to her. She could remember back to how I had caught her before and that gave her a confidence that I would catch her this time if she happened to start to fall. Well, in a similar way, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, as as we think back on everything that God has done for us in the past, that should fuel our faith in Him for the future. So that whenever we are confronted by a need, we, we can be certain that God is going to meet us in that time of need. God's past grace in our lives gives us a confidence as we look at the present situations and circumstances and as we consider the future. Here's what the psalmist says. He says, God, you know what? I remember your past faithfulness. And when I think of, about being in distress and I called out to you and you answered me in my time of need, you answered me in my distress. You know, I'm feeling this weight and I'm feeling this burden in this current problem, this current situation in my life right now. But before I uh, mention those things, before I bring those things to you, I just need to remind myself of your faithfulness in the past. You know, I, I think that this is a great example for us to follow. That we need to remind ourselves of how God has worked in the past because it gives us a confidence in our present and in the future, whatever distress we might be facing along the way. Now, the writer here doesn't tell us specifically what his trials were in the past that God had delivered him from. I mean, maybe he was traveling along somewhere and some robbers had come along and threatened to take everything that he had. And in that moment, he cried out to the Lord and God delivered him. 
Or uh, maybe he was really, really sick to the point where he thought he just wasn't going to make it. He wasn't going to get through that uh, period of time. But he cries out to the Lord and the Lord delivers him in that moment. We, we don't know what the specific circumstances are, but we knew, do know that whatever it was that the Lord had delivered him. But today, for those of us who are in Christ, we do know how Christ has delivered us in the past as well. You see, whatever distress you might be facing this morning, and I don't want to minimize any of that in any way, distress is a very real thing, and and uh, I'm not trying to make light of that. But whatever distress you are currently experiencing, God can bring deliverance in that. In fact, your current distress is not as challenging as what he has already delivered you from when Jesus went to the cross, died for your sins, and was resurrected on your behalf. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And the fact is that dead people cannot make themselves alive. But by the grace of God, we have been made alive together in Christ Jesus. That God didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He did not wait for us to get our spiritual act together. No, he uh, instead uh, says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he took our sin upon himself. That he delivered us from the bondage of sin that had separated us from God. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this should give great confidence because if he has the power to deliver you from your sin, then he has the power to deliver you from any obstacle that you might face in life. If you're listening to this and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, well, let me impress upon you the beauty of the deliverance that God offers to you in Jesus in this very moment. You might be feeling weighed down. You might be feeling burdened by all different kinds of things right now. But the biggest problem that you have, the biggest problem that any of us has, is our problem of sin, the problem of our sin. All of us have lived in glad rebellion against God. We have not given Him the proper place that He deserves in our lives. But God the Father sent Jesus Christ the Son to make all of that right, and to bring us back to Him, to give us peace with God. The way that the Bible tells us to respond is that we should turn from our sin, that we should repent, and that we should believe in Him, believe in Jesus as the Savior. It's the greatest deliverance that any of us can experience, and so if you've experienced salvation from your sin. You, you can look back at that and you can be confident that he will continue to meet you in your distress. He will continue to complete the work that he has already started in you. So the psalmist begins with this declaration of his confidence in the Lord. He knows that the Lord will answer him because of the way that he has answered him in the past. But, but then he turns his attention to his present distress and, and that he's experiencing right now. He talks about two specific things here. The, the first thing just has to do with lying neighbors, and the second thing has to do with warring neighbors. You, you look there at what he says in verse 2. He says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. 
You see, a major cause of the spiritual homesickness that this writer has been experiencing is that he is uh, on his way to Jerusalem, but a major cause of the trouble in his life is that the fact that the people around him don't seem to love the truth. And it seems like these lying lips, these deceitful tongues, may even be pointed personally in his direction. As a kid, you might remember that you heard that saying or even said that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's not the case. I mean, we all know that words do hurt. And part of living in this world is that at times we experience the pain and the hurt of being lied to and deceived. And this psalmist is describing this by saying these words like sharp arrows and burning coals. As I think about this, I'm reminded of James chapter 3, where he he talks about how a small spark can quickly get out of control and just burn a whole forest of trees down to the ground. And he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The the words that that come from other people's mouths, they are heavy, they can be very painful, and they can leave you in distress. Sticks and stones can break our bones, they can cause us to have to go to the doctor, to have that bone reset, to have a cast put on. But, But what do you do when words hurt you? What do you do when words are like sharp arrows and like burning coals? Well, I think that our psalmist teaches us something about how we can respond in those times when words are used against us. First, I want you to notice that he takes this to the Lord. He takes this to the Lord. He he could easily have tried to defend himself. He could have easily talked uh, about this with other people, uh, about these lies, this deceit. But in verse 2, he says, Deliver me, O Lord. He goes to God because he knows that ultimately the the only one who can bring deliverance from these circumstances is God himself. And so he goes to the Lord with his concerns, but then secondly, I want you to notice that he trusts God with the outcome. He trusts God with the outcome. Verses 3 and 4 say this, What shall be given to you, to the liars, what shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? And then he responds by saying, A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. I think that what he is saying there is that he is trusting the arrows of God's truth and the coals of God's judgment that will eventually come upon these liars that are coming after him. And so he does not have to try to figure out how to deal with these lies because the Lord is ultimately going to take care of these lies and the liars. Now, I think that this is just a beautiful picture here because it shows us how a relationship with the Lord and specifically a relationship with Jesus Christ can free us from a need to defend ourselves. When the creator of the universe calls you a son or a daughter, you don't have to worry about someone else calling you something less than that. When the being of the universe who matters more than any other being in the universe says that you have infinite worth, that you have infinite value, not because of what you have done, but because he has set his affection upon you. 
When you know that you are loved like that, you, you don't have to be consumed with worry. You, you don't have to be worried about lies that are being told about you or even to you. You know, it's kind of like a bride on her wedding day. There, there might be a crowd that is filled this room and, and, and they're looking at her as she's standing there beside her groom. And, and she's not thinking in that moment about everyone else though. No, in that moment, what she is doing is she is thinking about this man that she is marrying. She is focused on her groom and he is focused on her. You know, in a similar way, we as uh, the bride of Christ are freed from our need uh, to be something for other people. The only one whose gaze, whose eyes, whose affections really matter to us as Christians is Christ. And when Christ looks at us and loves us in the way that he does, everything else just kind of fades into the background. And, and we can rest in the fact that he is in control. Just like the psalmist here, we can trust that in the end, God is going to make everything right. And it's really not our work, but it's his work to do. We can trust him in that. Now, I don't know how you may have been experiencing these things in your own life, maybe in the past or even right now, but... Maybe someone has lied about you or lied to you. Maybe you have been hurt very personally by a deceitful tongue uh, from someone else. But I hope that you'll see very practically that uh, th this path that the, the psalmist offers here as he journeys through this life and through this world, as we are on this pilgrimage in life, heading towards the heavenly destination, we don't have to be controlled by those arrows. We don't have to let our eyes and our affections be on the things of this world. But we focus our eyes and we focus our affection on, thing, on things that are greater, on something that is greater. Our eyes are fixed on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so the first problem that the psalmist talks about here is lying neighbors, but there's a second thing that he mentions as well, and that is warring neighbors. You know, we, we pick it up there in verse 5. Here's what it says. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, he mentions these two places, Meshech and Kedar, and we have a map to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of where these places were, but Jerusalem is kind of towards the bottom part of the center of that map. It, 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 might, it may not seem like it, but Kedar is quite a distance from Jerusalem, especially in a day and age where you would have to walk everywhere that you went. And so Kedar is uh, close to Egypt down in the south. And then uh, Meshech would have been, on the other hand, way up north, almost to the Black Sea. So these were pagan nations. These were places that were far away from God, that were far away from Jerusalem. These were not Israelite cities that would have been sympathetic to the people of God, particularly to this pilgrim who is making this journey to go and worship there in Jerusalem. No, these were people who hated God. These were people who hated the people of God. But as I read Psalm 120, I don't think that there is any way that this psalmist would have been able to live in both of these cities at any point in his life. I mean, these cities were so far apart. They're, they're thousands and thousands of miles apart. 
And, and this was during the ancient times when it wasn't easy for people to travel around in the way that it is today. And so I think that what he's doing here is he's using these cities, Meshech and Kedar, to kind of describe people who are far away from God, people who are hostile towards him. The psalmist lived around people who did not care about the Lord. They did not care about the things of the Lord. And in many ways, things really haven't changed all that much for us today either. I mean, today we live on a different continent than the person who wrote this psalm. We, we live at a different time in history. We have all of these modern conveniences like cars and planes. We have uh, technology and running water. And yet, the world that we live in is a lot, has a lot of similarities to what the psalmist was experiencing. We, we're pilgrims who are on a journey. This world is not our ultimate home. Like the psalmist, today we live among a people who hate peace, a, a people who are living for themselves and not for the things of the Lord. I want you to just think about that for a moment here, how our culture is hostile towards peace. I mean, it, it seems like our culture today, um, you know, just being angry and being upset is almost like a moral value that uh, people have. You think about social media, you think about the news and how people have this angry attitude toward people who disagree with them and they, they get upset about uh, causes that are important to them that other people don't think are all that important. And in our culture today, it seems like a good thing to rant against people all the time, to make your voice heard. You watch news programs and what happens a lot of times on those programs is you're just watching these two people who are yelling at each other the whole time. Or you think about the emotion that's involved between people who have different political views. And, you know, we, we live among a people who seem to embrace anger and conflict, this kind of warring between each other. Like the psalmist we are journeying through a world that does not love the things that we are called to love as the people of God. Yes, we live in this world, but this world is not our ultimate home. We need to actively resist the temptation not to live in the way that the world lives. That, that we would seek to represent the God of peace in our families, with our neighbors, with our, uh, the, the work environments that we're in, with our friends. That we would stand out as a people of peace in a culture that just loves war. And, and that as our eyes are focused on the King of Peace, Jesus Christ, that we would find a profound hope that comes from being His people. Well, just a uh, last thing that I want to mention here uh, about this psalm is that I want you to see how this psalm ends. You know, for a lot of us, if we were writing this, we, we might want to end with some good news. We, we might want to end on a positive note, kind of like the way fairy tales end a lot of the times, and they lived happily ever after. That God delivered the psalmist and everything was fine. That's not the way the psalmist ends, though. That's not what he does. In verse 7, we see this kind of sad and even burdensome end, this tone that he has as he says this. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You know, I think that's intentional because this psalmist, like all of the psalms of ascent, um, they, they are not, they're not really about the end, but they're about this journey. 
They're about how we follow the Lord until we get to the end. And so my question for you this morning is, are you up for the journey? Are you up for the journey? You know, it's difficult. It can feel long. There are uh, no quick fixes along the way. You know, if we follow the Lord for 10 years, we are still going to have neighbors who lie about us and to us. If you follow the Lord for another 10 years after that, you're still going to have warring neighbors. In fact, John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus would say this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You can count on the fact that you're going to have trouble in this life, in this world. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. The troubles of this life, they don't go away immediately when we start following Jesus. No, they will only go away in the end. You know, we live in a world where things happen instantly. We, we have information at our fingertips. We, we have things like smartphones and, and we have all of this technology. We live in this modern society and so we think that there are these problems that should just be solved instantly, that they're just uh, going to go away quickly. You know, um, we're living in this global crisis right now and some people are thinking, you know, well, if we just find the right thing, we are going to fix everything and it's all going to be back to life as normal, life as usual. Or maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you think, you know what? I don't have time to read a 500-page book right now. I don't have time to sit down and have these long talks every night or, or, or for days and weeks and months on end. No, I, I'm just going to read this little short article on the internet and everything is going to be fine. Everything's going to be back to normal then. Or maybe you have something at work or maybe something with your finances or something with your health and, and you say, you know what, I, I really want this to happen and I want it to happen right now. I don't want to wait. I'm not going to wait on this. That, that's often the way that we view things here in this life. We want things instantly and waiting can be really hard. It can be really difficult. But discipleship, following Jesus, growing in the Lord, just does not work like that. We are pilgrims. We are on a journey. And as we go on this journey with our King, we need to have a long view of things. This week, I stumbled across a quote that uh, I believe goes back to something like the 1800s. But this quote speaks of this idea of having the long view and how significant growth in our lives happens over time. And this quote says this, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. Let me say that again. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. You think about that. If you are pursuing after something, if you are uh, wanting something, and you get what you want today, you know, it's probably not really worth a whole lot. If what you're pursuing after is something that you can get today, then what you're pursuing after is probably too small. But if what you are pursuing after is something that can only be obtained over a long journey, over a long obedience in one direction, 
Then and only then can what you, be, what you strive for really be worth living for, really can be worth running after. I think that this can be helpful as we think about discipleship. I mean, as we think about this process of following after Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle Paul would say this. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to continue to press on. I'm going to continue to move forward in the Lord. Or, think about the author of Hebrews, how he pictures us as believers running this marathon in this stadium. And this stadium is just filled with all of the faithful saints from the past. These saints are cheering, and they are cheering for us who are in the race, who are running in this moment. And he says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, so, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, the journey of walking with the Lord can be long. It can be challenging. There are no quick, immediate, easy fixes in following our King. But as we'll see over the weeks to come, as we study through these psalms, that the Lord gives us His presence and He gives us songs to sing along the way. Songs that can help us to understand. Songs that can help us to process life's challenges. Songs that can help us to honor Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank you for just the reminder today of the fact that we can look back on your past faithfulness and just be encouraged and confident in your present faithfulness because of the past. Lord, I pray that those challenges and burdens of life today would be able to be, that we would be able to lay them at your feet. Lord, instead of trying to fix them on our own, instead of trying to run to other people to fix them, Lord, that we would come to you and find a rest and a hope and a confidence and a peace that is found in you and you alone. Lord, um, we do, we look forward to that day when we are going to be united around you in your presence in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would be able to live in light of that day. Lord, have your way in us for your glory and for your honor. We pray that you would work in us today, that you would give us a confidence in you and in your word, and that this week we would experience your transformational work and power renewing our minds. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.